We try to play with great pace. We try to play with great pace. Ran a lot of pick and roll, pick and pop uh, type actions. Oh, you'll see us play. Some people look at the guy next to him and say, what the hell was that shot? Hell, I could have been Gronk before Gronk was Gronk. And welcome back to another episode of, of Bangerangs and Daggers. I'm your co-host out here in our allergy-riddled capital, uh, sporting the cherry blossoms out here, but all the pollen that comes with it, uh, Kevin Knight. And with me tonight is, of course, my co-host out in Nebraska, Patrick Gearhart. Patrick, how are you doing? Heidi ho neighbor. I'm not too bad. It's cold, chilly, and a little bit damp outside here, so, Yeah. Well, I hope you're hiding your fence or uh, your face behind the fence there, uh, neighbor. <laughs> my, my my fence is not that high, and it's wrought iron. Well, no, Mister Wilson, are you? But no, and I don't think I've. Nah, I might have a bucket hat somewhere. I might have a bucket hat somewhere. Anyway, so we haven't done a bad. We we have not done a podcast in probably what a month. It might not have been that long, but uh, yeah, there, there's been some developments in uh, Husker sports since then, and particularly Husker hoops. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, a uh, bit bit of an end of season um, there. After all, it's now the long, long off season until October. Yeah, or in Nebraska or in Hoiberg world, it's transfer season. Very true, although extra transfer season this year with the uh, presumed um, is that vote going to come this week or next week on that um, should be coming soon at any rate the one time eligibility waiver extension for 2021-22 while they still continue to work out their long term permanent one time uh, transfer rule but still hasn't been passed yet but with it there seems to be a lot of transfer news across Everybody, not just Nebraska, but especially once again, Nebraska. Yeah, no, I mean, it's Nebraska is guaranteed to have some guys transfer out. And of course, opening positions to guys coming in. But it seems like kind of across the board, there's been a lot of schools having the same problem. Uh, Whether you want to look at it as a problem or just, you know, guys getting pushed out. I feel like some of the guys that are transferring out of Nebraska were guys who weren't necessarily going to see a lot of court time. So. You know, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up at uh, maybe a lower power school or group of five school, I guess, if you may. Um, But no, there's quite a few schools with a lot of people transferring in and out. A lot of good schools, not so good schools. So it's kind of across the board right now. But I guess that's just kind of the world we're living in. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. And I mean, in some cases, it's it's good, too, in the sense that, um, you know, looking at it from perspective of a revolving door with head coaches i think total penn state minnesota and indiana all had roughly six guys at each school enter the transfer portal after their head coach was fired at each respective school um since then it's gone down some of them have decided to return with the new hire but i think one of the biggest criticisms that even people like myself have with schools is if you're recruited to one school by a head coach and the head coach leaves or is fired, but then you're stuck there in a system that maybe doesn't necessarily fit is kind of one of the blatant injustices that the NCAA has to, to a degree 
um, in, in terms of, you know, if, if somebody comes in and it's just not a good fit, it's not a good fit and you wouldn't have gone there in the first place. So there's certainly some benefits to it too, I, I think, but, um, you know, then there's just other, other scenarios where it doesn't fit and, and whatnot. But, um, at least in that case, I, I think it's something that is an improvement arguably. No, I would agree. I think it's definitely an improvement. It definitely empowers this, the players, which it should. I mean, you get those situations where, you know, coaches can up and leave at any point for a different job. Why can't players? But, uh, you know, it's it's been ramped up in the past few years. I think this is probably one of those off seasons where we've seen a lot of it more, probably more so than normal. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it, it will probably take care of itself. I think over time, you're going to see more and more players transferring out and not being exactly happy. And I think, you know, that might send a message to current players at schools that are not, they've not transferred out of that, you know, maybe, maybe transferring out when you're not happy isn't always the best answer. So yeah, I definitely I mean, agree. You know, I, I think over time you'll see less and less players doing this, you know, but that's just me. Yeah, one thing that I'd be interested in is, especially this particular year, what the percentage of student athletes choosing to transfer looks like as a percentage compared to regular students, uh, particularly when um, counterimposed on uh, athletes who choose to go to a school a number of states away or even across the country and compare that with students who chose to go to a school you know, a number of states away or halfway across the country and proceeded to then transfer out after their freshman year, after you know this year in particular. I, I think that would be something that would be kind of interesting just to see if athletes transfer out at a higher percentage when given the opportunity or if they transfer out at a lower percentage in comparison. Because, um, I, I don't know, it's just something that uh, stats, stats nerd like me would be interested in. But, um, yeah, I, I suppose maybe I should quit uh, rambling on here about transfer news and uh, maybe just talk about the closer – of the 2020-2021 Nebraska Cornhuskers men's basketball season, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it ended without major fanfare in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Not terribly surprised. Uh, Our beloved Huskers had another losing season, but it was another transition season. There was growth there, I feel. I feel like the coaching staff seems to be a little bit better off than it was the first year. Uh, there was definitely progress as the year went on, uh, especially considering they had that almost full month off due to COVID outbreaks within the team, and which really affected the team and coaching staff. And you know, it's just it w- it was a tough year, and I don't think a lot of people realize how tough it was on those players. And I think the players probably don't even know how tough it was on them uh, until they get a little retrospect in the situation. So it'll. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but we've got some good players coming back next year. Nebraska should be in a very good position to do well in the Big Ten. Um, it'll be interesting to see who else comes back in the other teams, but for the most part, I, I think you know this is definitely a right. The record doesn't show it for obvious reasons, but because this was a, another tough conference year. But I think in the grand scheme of things, Nebraska's really positioned them, positioned themselves. Uh, for a good 2020 or 2021-22 season. So. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not going to be the same Big Ten that it was the past two seasons, I don't think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't imagine that both 
the Sunmu and uh, Coburn are back at Illinois, for example. Marcus Carr is gone from Minnesota, as is Richard Pino Jr., and they're clearly in a rebuild mode. Um, Rutgers already had a down year in comparison to uh, last season, which was stronger for them and unfortunate that the big uh, NCAA tournament was canceled as a result. I mean, they're still a good team under Patel, but... Uh, you know, it's still a different roster. I was clearly losing uh, Luca Garza <laughs> at a minimum, as well as maybe a number of other players. Uh, Northwestern, probably a school, a little bit on the rise. But, I mean, same situation as Nebraska, at least in terms of where they're rising from. And I'm not sure that they have quite as high of a ceiling. Penn State, one of the schools that lost most of its uh current roster and pretty much all their main contributors um maryland you know kind of middle of the pack uh lose most likely eric ayala uh wisconsin's gonna lose some guys um michigan gonna lose some guys uh yeah i mean it just it's it's gonna be a completely different big 10 next season without likely as much depth and uh with the the practice that everybody got under their belt um molding together this season. And I think with some of the progress that we saw with um, one of the earlier attritions from the roster, definitely should set Husker fans up for some optimism to finally see some growth from Hoiberg for sure. Um, I know the final uh, game on see our, our last pod was just before the Iowa game. And obviously that one was a tough loss, 102 64, but I mean, tough loss at Northwestern, um, after that, on the seventh, just one point should have won. Heartbreaker. It. Yeah, and <laughs> and then against Penn State, I mean they they gave it quite a quite a good effort against Penn State and definitely had a shot to advance to Thursday. And I mean, I think the final score of just a six point loss is frankly uh, not even as close as the game was, really. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. Mm-hmm. No, I fully agree. I would fully agree. It's going to be an interesting interesting transition for the Big Ten. I mean, the past two seasons, they've been definitely one of the best power conferences out there, uh, regardless of how things turned out in the NCAA tournament this year. But, uh, the, you know, if you're a team that's progressing and is improving to the point to where they could really take advantage of a down season, next year is going to be it. You know, I, I see Nebraska possibly being in that position, like you said. Uh, you know, I think Purdue's got some guys coming back that could really probably push them back up to where they want to be seen. Um, you've got new coaches at Minnesota, Indiana, Penn State. Where else? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's there's some movement on the assistant level, too, obviously. Um, Michigan State's going to have to find a new assistant. Indiana poached um, one of their longstanding guys. Uh, Nebraska has a new assistant coach um, with the departure of Lutz. Um, uh, Doc Sadler has moved into the role of special assistant advisor whatever the role is where he's not actually an active coach um, but rather more of a behind the scenes um, con- consultant for lack of a better way of phrasing it uh, to, yeah, to coach Hoiberg <laughs> yeah and um, then we have a new assistant coach on the bench uh, former Chicago Bulls assistant under Hoiberg Nate L- Lonzer gonna have to learn how to pronounce right. his name yeah I think that's right yeah, we'll, we'll go with that until uh, somebody <laughs> proves me wrong. So, 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, there's definitely some uh, some changes to uh, the coaching staff beyond just those three positions, and and certainly in uh, early point in the coaching carousel, there's still a number of high profile openings that have only recently been filled, or uh, have. Uh, are still looking for new positions and are going to need new assistance. So we'll see what, uh, what ends up happening. Oh, and, and I mean, um, I, I should have remembered this Penn state's head coach was actually poached from Purdue's bench. Um, their associate head coach is now the Penn state head coach. So I mean, it, another example of a high profile assistant being poached from a program. Um, and he'd had a lot of success with Purdue's offense uh, the last few years. So um, yeah, it, it's going to be a, a different league. I think still a, a strong one, but no means um, by by no means at all remotely as strong. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's. Uh, Unfortunately, we're recording this far enough away from the end of Nebraska season that everything's kind of settled to the point to where we're. I think we've all mentally moved on to next year. Uh, I mean, the biggest, I mean, do you really want to talk about the national championship? I mean, not really. I, I like Gonzaga. Um, so I, I wasn't particularly happy with that. I don't, I, I don't think that that was indicative of how good Gonzaga was all season. They clearly no. peaked the second weekend and were obviously tired from the UCLA game. Um, you know, I mean, they're a much stronger shooting team than, than they showed in that. No offense to Baylor's defense by any means, but I mean, because Baylor's defense was good. I mean, they they came out they came out physical more so than Gonzaga or Gonzaga. I'm sorry, Gonzaga. And you know, to Baylor's credit, they hit the shots they were supposed to, and they kept they kept they kept Gonzaga from shooting theirs, which is something that the Bulldogs had yet to see all year. I mean, most teams they played against, they kind of shot at their will. And Baylor just did not let them until the second half. I mean, they had a good run in the second half that tightened up the score, but Baylor just clamped down and clamped down early on. And lucky for them, their shots came in early. And it was more than enough to, to win that game. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, man, think I, te- I think I think I messaged you or somebody, maybe somebody in the coordination Slack that, you know, a few hours earlier, I said, Baylor's going to win. And my thoughts on it were just based on the fact that B- Baylor played in a tougher conference, which everybody thought was going to hurt Gonzaga in the tournament, which it, it really didn't. I mean, they, they went above and beyond their conference schedule by far. But Baylor played in a tougher conference against tougher teams. And in the end, the final four, Gonzaga, at the last second, beat a very good but not great UCLA team. And in the final four, Baylor destroyed a very good, almost great Houston team. And to me, that was kind of the deciding factor going into that game that uh, Gonzaga just, you know, great coach team, great talent going to have a bright you know it has had a has had a great past is going to have a bright future but it was just nowhere near what Baylor put on the court and I would say probably three out of five times Baylor was going to win that game I don't know if I'd quite give them that uh, that type of odds I it's not to detract (laughs) from them they are a good team I just do think that 
the Zags just fell flat on their face in, in terms of it. I mean, they, they had good defense against them, but I, I just don't think from looking at their season that you don't necessarily see them going up against tough defenses at times, maybe not quite the same level, but I mean, with the same type of pressure in their face at, at times, and they still hit the shot. Um, I mean, they sometimes teams just have a poor shooting night. So I, it's more so the result that I dispute in terms of the the stark disparity in score. I, it would it would maybe probably be three tam three times out of five, but I think one time out of five, each team is going to have that kind of a shooting night on both sides where they get blown out, and the other two times you're going to see a really close game with with uh, you know each one winning, and then maybe finally that that fifth game is when you see uh, a close game where Gun- uh, Baylor ends up you know having the edge three out of five but i i just think that they had a a poor performance in the final two games i I think the full body of work you know everybody has a cold night not to take away from baylor's defense but it wasn't just baylor's defense that did it i'm I'm not saying baylor isn't an elite team they didn't make the title game without that like i said they made the shots that mattered early on like they, they were hot coming out their defense was locked down and their shooting was hot and again you know I don't think that Baylor's going to blow them out three out of five times, but I think they would still win three out of those five times. Um, yeah, and I, I think having seen it, I, I, I think I can definitely see that being the case. Um, I just definitely definitely don't think that we would normally see the result that we saw Monday night in most other scenarios is all. Oh, oh I fully agree. Well, fully agree on that. But no, I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> and as I think we saw online, not everybody is happy that... Baylor won with their past history of an athletic department, uh, particularly in regards to football and uh, go back 15 years, basketball. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? <laughs> p- people object to, to basketball players murdering their teammate. Let's yeah. Let, I, that, it, that, that's a bad thing. It was a bad, bad situation. I remember it, I was in college when all that went down. I mean, it's, Still pretty fresh in my memory, for sure. But uh, nonetheless, Baylor made it through the round of 64 teams, and they are a national champion for the next year until, you know, maybe a Pac-12 school is going to win it next year. Yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't be me without throwing in this day. Congrats to the Big 12. You now have three national titles in the modern tournament era. Congratulations. You're still way behind every other P6 league. Three. You got Kansas twice, Baylor once, and that's it. Trying the the modern the modern tournament era. To be fair, Kansas claims three, and they do have three, but one of them comes back from the fifties when, frankly, the NIT was arguably the real national title uh, tournament at that point. So yeah. that, that's yeah. what I say. It, it's just sort of that. It's similar to football where before we had BCS and before we had this and before we had that, there's all these disputes over what was the true national title. And you can claim it by all means, but I mean, the NIT was arguably the national title until around the early 60s or so. Yeah, but don't don't most people in the sporting world consider like 1936 or 1938 to be kind of the start of the modern era of that? Yeah, some do, but I don't. I would say a majority do, and you don't. 
<laughs> That's fine. I mean, I'm perfectly happy to be in the minority and be right. Perfectly happy to be in the minority and be right. And you know what? We we have a fantastic one of our best episodes. It was is interviewing somebody who would back me up on that with his national title from 1945. So, I'm not touching it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, I, poor, at any rate, anybody big, who claims the Helms, yeah, anybody who claims a Helms era championship is, uh, frankly, um, deluding themselves. That that's for sure. Everybody agrees on that. So, <laughs> anywho, um, God, Nate never showed up, did he? Now, um, and also Oklahoma State claims two from the forties. Um, so yeah, they're they also one of the other programs that does. I think Texas has one from like the Helms era. I think in the twenties, be- yeah, before which is before even what is considered the modern, by my disputed uh, definition of it, a modern tournament era. Uh, so yeah, Texas, get out of here with that. Like you might as well just claim the national title with the NIT tournament that you won in what was it, eighteen? I think nineteen. I forget. Back when they're still, you know. Wearing knee highs and shooting free throws uh, between the legs. <laughs> yeah, that, sure. Yeah, I, it, it was uh, it was funny because they um, sent out a, a graphic on Twitter saying, "Oh, we won the national championship," and within about five ten minutes, they deleted it and tweeted out the correct version with the NIT logo. Oh, nice. Saying, we won yeah. the NIT instead of one, saying one, we won the cool national thing, title. One cool thing I didn't uh, see was that this is the first national championship for the state for a a school in the state of texas since uh utep won it or back when they were texas western back in 60 what seven uh yeah 68 maybe yeah i remember that as well yeah that was which which is a really cool story uh what what was the name of that movie came out about 10 15 years ago had to do with that texas western team um because weren't they the first all african or african-american led team Maybe was it Glory it. Road? Is that right? I want I want to say it was a good film. It was a good film. Um, I need to rewatch that film. But yeah, I think yeah, Texas Western way back then. And another connection, former Nebraska or current Nebraska special yeah. assistant Doc Sadler was you know head coach there back before he coached at Nebraska. We poached him. Yeah, it, it was Glory Road, and it was the 1966 NCAA University Division Basketball Championship. There we Texas go. Western College. Way out there in El Paso. Practically Mexico and New Mexico. Yep. Um, I <laughs> honestly haven't actually seen that one yet. <laughs> I, I, one I recommend I should, it. But... I think you'd like it. it it's, it's just a good one. It's, it's a good feel-good show, and I thought it was real, uh, well-made. Um, good story. Good feel good story, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's on my list someday. I just yeah. haven't gone to it. One of like three thousand movies people have told you to probably watch. <laughs> gotcha. Anyway, that's kind of all I got. What do you got? Anything? Uh, yeah, that's mostly what I got. Um, any guesses on uh, the tournament for next season? Um, let's have some fun with that. Uh, they have not announced it, as far as I know. What do you mean? Uh, the preseason tournament or that early, early season tournament, not preseason. My bad. 
So oh, for Nebraska past, playing yeah, too. This past oh, year was gotcha. Myrtle Beach. The year before mm-hmm. that, it was um, no uh, the, the Cayman Islands, and uh, who the hell knows before that? Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what they're gonna do. Won't be Atlantis, um, and I know that. Much. I was just I was just gonna say the one thing I don't like about NCAA basketball, or at least Big Ten basketball, is that we don't know our schedule until like September. Usually it, it, it's been August most of the time, like maybe early to mid-August. This past year was obviously a, a huge difference, but they typically announce the opponent matchups by about June. Mm-hmm. But we don't at know the, the latest late, schedule. Yeah, until, late May, early June. But actually, maybe late August. I'm, I'm just looking at old stuff. Like I, It's like I wrote an article a couple years ago on August 22nd. So Yeah, they, they've gradually moved it up a little bit every year, I feel like. Um, for, especially for the last couple of years, but uh, I I think I realized last year you can usually predict um, it, the the June announcement of who they'll play, how many times. You know, are you going to play this team round robin, home and home, mm-hmm. or are you going to play them only on the road or only at home? You can usually predict with about ninety five percent accuracy what it's going to be. Uh, based on your last two years worth of schedule with the 20 game schedule, because it's every school that you played uh, at home, mm-hmm. you're going to play them at home and on the road. Every team that you played on the road only, you're going to play at home and on the road. And every team mm-hmm. that you played at home and on the road the previous year, you're going to play the opposite of whatever you did the year prior. So mm-hmm. if, uh, so if, Michigan State, for example, Nebraska is going to play in East Lansing um, this upcoming 21-22 season. And that's it. They're going to play Michigan State once, and it's going to be in East Lansing. Nice. As, as an example. So, yeah. so I, I, you can book it, may, take it to the, the bookie, the casino, the whatever, if you're a betting person. Uh, that is going to be one of the games. When it falls on the schedule... Couldn't begin to guess or tell you. Um, and this past year, it was pretty obvious. Wisconsin flipped with Iowa as being Nebraska's locked-in home-and-home opponent um, mm-hmm. because uh, not not to you know harp on schedule topics too much, but uh, with the protected in-state rivalries of Northwestern Illinois, Indiana, Purdue, and Michigan State, Michigan, um, the other schools are left to a rotating basis of sort of near geographical opponents. So for Nebraska, that means Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin rotate in a group of four um, for the same type of protected rivalry roughly every uh, every two-year cycle. So uh, prior to this, uh, Nebraska faced Iowa home and home for two straight years roughly. Now it's clearly going to be Wisconsin, then it'll be Minnesota, and then it'll go back to Iowa again. So, Yeah, I didn't pay attention to anything you just said. It really wasn't that uninteresting of a topic, Patrick. Come on. Give me some credit. No, it was good. It was good. No, I, I kind of forget that those in-state rivalries are protected. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a huge controversy for the schools that are there. And, I mean, to be fair, I, I get that it's not a, a conference issue for a school like Nebraska. But, you know, I mean, moving to the 20-game schedule uh, with the Big Ten schedule does imperil 
uh, to a certain degree, the Nebraska-Creighton rivalry in basketball. And obviously that mm-hmm. cut out the Nebraska-Creighton rivalry in baseball and volleyball this year. And that was a big deal in Nebraska. Understandably Huge. so. Huge. That's a, a yeah. big moneymaker, good rivalry. You know, yeah. I've always, I, I always thought Nebraska-Creighton in basketball should play twice a year. And it should be home and home. I always, for some reason, just those two need to play twice. Once in Omaha, once in Lincoln. Call it good. Now, don't get me wrong. Nebraska's record would be worse against them, I think, over the past few years. But just because of the fan bases, I always thought it would be good to do. Yeah, and I mean, that that's just exactly my point is, you know, I mean, that's an important rivalry to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Now flip it around to any of those three uh, rivalries that I just mentioned. And yeah. Purdue, Indiana, Michigan State, Michigan, and Northwestern Illinois are all the exact same. It's an important in-state rivalry. It yeah. has the same type of connotation, importance. Okay, maybe not Northwestern Illinois. I'm not going to make that up. Um, but, I mean, Purdue, Indiana, and Michigan, Michigan State are two of uh, the stronger basketball rivalries in the conference. Iowa-Iowa so, State. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Iowa-Iowa State in football is huge, including in basketball. Even too, in basketball. I mean, yeah. yeah, even in basketball. I mean, like, I would say it's probably bigger than Creighton, Nebraska. Because exactly. Because of all the so. extra sports, yeah. Yeah, so, Maybe. you know, I mean, to be frank, Tim Miles made a little bit of criticism about the decision to move towards protecting those rivalries back when it was decided in the Big Ten that they would be doing that, and then later backtracked it, either because he realized that it was a fairly unpopular decision or because he just you know, thought about it for a second, realized why it's a common sense decision for the love of the game, more or less for fans. But yeah, I mean, it, it's an important thing. So uh, that that's why that's a protected issue. And that's why the other schools are kind of left to, you know, here's schools that are close to you and therefore have some small level of importance, at least in, in playing them. I mean, Nebraska was a rivalry based on hate, clearly. Uh, Maybe a young rivalry, but still one clearly based on on quite a bit of animosity between the programs. And so the two playing each other is important. And hence, those games are uh, now somewhat protected, similar to, to the in-state rivalries, but not to the same degree. So maybe they should change that and make it Minnesota-Wisconsin and Nebraska-Iowa type of scenarios. Maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. Maybe that's something to get into uh, deeper in the offseason. But, yeah, that's all I got tonight. The only game we got next year on the calendar for sure is Kansas State at PBA on December 18th. I wonder if they're going to be any good. They were really bad this year, right? They were. Yep, they were bad. Okay. Yeah, no, it's been a while since K State's been good, and they've had some good teams. They've had some oh, wait, really did, good teams over the past. You know. Was it this year they got in the brawl, or was that last year before COVID? The brawl with who? Kansas, Kansas, Kansas State got into a basketball brawl, right? I think, I think, yeah, I think that was previous year. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think that sounds I think right. That, yeah. I think that was, I think that was two years ago. That sounds familiar now that you mention it. Yeah, because I, I feel like they had a normal crowd there for that game so that would have been last season yeah yep well hopefully you know uh no brawl at, at pba no no malice at the palace going down in lincoln please and thank you <laughs> all right kevin uh, i think we're done yep all right thanks everybody uh as always please uh subscribe to coronation radio uh you'll get all of our great podcasts including a bang rangs and daggers uh john's post-life crisis some of our short episodes now and five heart podcast 
Uh, please subscribe to us. Please like us. Uh, please leave a review and follow us on Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, you stay classy. Love you all. <laughs>